0: Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Don't worry. Those are some heavy verses. Um, I was warned not to pick 11 verses in Romans, because 11 verses in Romans feels like 11 chapters in another book. However, um, I believe that it's important this morning as we continue our series in Breakthrough to um, really look at God's Word explicitly as to what it says about legalism and what it says about this good news that we call the Gospel of Jesus. And so I'm going to let Paul do most of the teaching this morning when we get to that, but I do want to share a couple of thoughts first. First off, my name is Will Krause. I'm one of our pastors here. I am a non-staff pastor here at Grace City, and uh, we have six pastors uh, that that go—that help lead in our church. Four of them are non-staff pastors, Um, and uh, a couple of things I want to say before we we jump into our sermon and our text this morning. Uh, One, um, I would encourage you, especially in this season— If you bump across somebody on staff at our church, or you're just thinking about them throughout the week, would you pray for them? Would you encourage them? Would you be sweet to them? Um, This has been a really uh, fast sprint for our staff and our leadership specifically, but as a non-staff pastor, um, I get to watch a lot of the work behind the scenes that the staff is doing. And I just wanna say, y'all, we have a great staff here at Grace City Church. We have a great staff. It, it's, it's complicated to work for a church, and, um, and then there's just, like all jobs, there's busy seasons and slower seasons, and, and we are in a busy season, if you haven't noticed. Um, a lot's going on uh, at Grace Church, and they are leading from the front and behind the scenes in many ways. Um, specifically uh, pray and encourage our lead pastor, Will Plunk. He is um, finishing up some time of rest with his family, which we are very excited about for him. Uh, but he will enter back in tomorrow after taking several days off this past week. If you've ever taken paid time off before, you know that first day back, it's a doozy. Like your inbox is full, you're behind from the jump, Monday morning's already a thing Um, And so uh, be encouraging him and and praying for him as he enters back in. A couple other things. We are in week three of being in this space in North Charleston. It feels like week 30 to me for some reason. I don't know. Maybe for you it feels like week three. I I was shocked when I was writing it down. I was like, yeah, this is only week three. And um, the air condition has gotten a little bit better each week. So praise God for that. But I see the fans coming and uh, they're they're welcomed here in this space. We've tried to be very intentional as we have entered in, as you heard Kiwan saying, and one of the things that we have been intentional about um, in this space that we haven't addressed yet um, that I wanted to just comment on is that we we have intentionally put this curtain up here. Um, This is is white Jesus behind me, and uh, we have put a curtain there not to control mood lighting in this space, we think this room is beautiful and the windows are beautiful, um, but we have been in spaces before where white Jesus was front and center, and we've talked about it with our members, but if you're new to our context, we just wanted you to know we're doing this intentionally. We're not trying to block Jesus from your view. Um, we uh, know that um, Jesus wasn't white, <laughs> so just to say it plainly, like, I mean, he, he, he did not grow up in England or Germany where some of my fair-skinned ancestors may have come from. He grew up in the Middle East. And so if you were to Google, like, what did Jesus really look like, um, you would find images and, and what you would see and what we believe is true is that he looked like a short Middle Eastern brown man, not a white librarian Jesus. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm very familiar with these images. Maybe you have your own images that you're familiar with that you grew up around church or even thinking through things like, when you close your eyes, what do you see? Like, who, do you, who are you praying to? Like, I can't wait one day to actually see him in person. Can you? Like, I can't wait. But we do this intentionally um, because not only is, is, is that maybe biblically inaccurate, um, an image of white Jesus has absolutely been used in our history to as a tool of oppression for black and brown families. Um, and so, We enter into this space differently from different backgrounds and different contexts. And um, we want to do our best to remove um, distractions um, and certainly to um, uh, call out false teaching, Um, a teaching where in a a period of time and especially in a location like ours um, where whiteness would have been elevated through saying that Jesus was white, that whiteness was a more pure or more uh, superior ethnicity compared to others. And we know Genesis 127 says that's not true at all. That all people are made in God's image equally. And so um, we do this intentionally. Just like in Kid City, we pick our books intentionally and the curriculum is discussed intentionally um, so that we are discipling our children and discipling each other really well. So just wanted to call it out. In the 1115 service, um, he really starts trying to shine through, so we might need to get a blackout curtain, Tony. Um, I don't know if that's getting—my kid would sleep—would not sleep through that curtain, so we might need a, a bigger curtain. But um, And we did have multiple offers after I said this in the first service. It was like, hey, I'm a painter. I can paint. I can, I can give him a tan if you need it. <laughs> and um, it's not our building, so we, we, we are probably not able to do that yet, but we'll see. So— Um, Great. Hey, we are continuing in our series um, called Breakthrough. And when we mapped out this teaching series, well, just for for context, in our church, we normally just go through books of the Bible. That is our typical practice. And get ready, because we're about to take on the book of Mark. (laughs) And we're going to be in the gospel of Mark for a long time. Um, and, but a few times of the year, we will plan an intentional topical teaching where we pick a topic and we try to aim God's word at that topic. Like what does God's word say about this topic, this specific thing that we hope will be helpful and equipping for our congregation. And so Breakthrough, uh, as Kiwan said, and as we, we, we sung the song, um, is trying to take charge of the battlefield where Satan has set up a camp and he is harassing our people, where he is deceiving um, those uh, through these lies and through this baggage. We've covered topics in the Breakthrough Series um, like American Individualism. Uh, We've covered family baggage. Last week, um, Pastor Jason Crosby got the Wheel of Unfortunate and covered church hurt. Difficult topic to teach on, especially in the midst of, while our church, people might be feeling hurt in all the things that are happening in our church. And so I just wanted to quickly double tap one thing that he said last week as an invitation, that if you are struggling um, here at Grace City with communication that we've made from the front, with decisions that our church has made, if you are feeling hurt in any way, please, please, please come talk to us. He made that invitation last week. People took that step. It was beautiful. Um, The text that we laid out last week about our posture and how we wanna engage each other in those hurting conversations, I promise you we will be gentle, and I promise you we will listen, and I promise you we will share the truth in in grace and in truth. And so we just desire to talk, and so if for some reason you weren't able to take that step last week, please don't hesitate to send me an email, reach out to us, um, and we'll start a conversation. This week, though, the battlefield that we are storming, the camp that we are invading of the enemies is the camp of legalism. Legalism. And while these other topics that we have taught through in this series, I believe are very real, practical, and affect the body. Maybe they affect you in different ways. Maybe two weeks ago, family baggage, you're like, I don't really feel like I got a lot of family baggage. Maybe I should explore that. Some of you, that's all you can think about because it's so thick and it's so hard and difficult. Or maybe it was church hurt, same thing last week. I would argue and establish that we all face legalism constantly Like, legalism is just the air that we breathe in this world. Legalism, though, is not just something that you might go through for a season and struggle with. I I think legalism is so important because it is sending people to hell every day. What what legalism really is is just the opposite of the gospel. So legalism is, is, is literally sending people to hell. Satan has a camp, a stronghold, not just on Christians, entangling them with them, robbing the joy of their relationship with Christ, robbing um, the gratitude that comes when you hear the good news. He's affecting us as believers in many ways with legalism, but he's also just lying to the world out there, lying to them saying that one day you can be good enough. One day you'll, you'll, you'll likely measure up if you just keep trying, if you just keep improving slowly and slowly and slowly. And this topic of legalism today, I don't believe a pastor can solve it for you and take on the enemy and his stronghold in 30 minutes. We're going to need some time. You're going to need to create some space. The real issue is, it'd be easy if I could just say, do these three things, and you'll knock knock legalism out, like, straight in the mouth. That would be convenient for today's purposes. But I think that legalism is not... An issue of what do you know, it's the issue of what do you really believe in your heart. I would say that legalism is not um, an examination of what you're out there doing, it's more of why you're doing it. You could look at somebody whose heart's been captured by legalism and the symptoms of that legalism might look exactly on the activity level the same as somebody who fully believes in the gospel. So the, the question is really, what is my motive behind that drive? And I think that when we press in on heart-related issues, we get, we get protective. It starts to hurt. And I don't know about you, but I ain't got time for things that hurt. Like I don't wanna make time for the painful, difficult conversations with God around What's, what do I really, really believe in, in my heart? Not just what do I heard, Not just what can I recite, not just what do I know, but what do my actions really say is in my heart around this topic? I was thinking about a silly example that's gonna happen in about two hours. So like I have said publicly, because Pastor Plunk has invited me to work out with him consistently, and I am a sporadic attendee. um, And I would say that, yeah, getting in shape is important like for my own life, like I've, I've said that goal. My wife over here is rolling her eyes. She's heard me say like that. I've been an athlete most of my life and that's been my crutch. It's like, I think I can beat all of you in all the sports i have ever played right now. But I'm slowly going the wrong direction and I just, I don't realize it. Um, but I can say, yeah, working out's important. I can say um, getting in shape is important, but watch how fast I drive to Zaxby's in two hours after this service is done. <laughs> like that'll tell you not just what I know, but what I really believe is important to me and um, that's the that's the kind of of level of uh, intimacy with God these conversations need to happen for all of us and so my disclaimer for this whole conversation really is go have more conversation with God about this I'm gonna tell you what's true today that's my job I can't really discern your heart I can't really evaluate, no one really can, like what's in your heart, what do you really believe in? I can simply ask you some questions and point you to the truth and really let Paul say it very plainly to you, which is what we're gonna do. So legalism, I'll give you a definition that you'll find on Google, first thing that pops up. Legalism is dependence on moral law instead of faith. You just wanna know what the word means, dependence on moral law instead of faith. When we say faith, that word means I'm putting my complete trust and confidence in someone or something. That's faith. It's not like I have all the exact facts. I know for a matter of a fact, this is exactly what's going on. I have faith. There is an element of, of trust that is, um, embodies that word. For our context, of course, faith in Jesus is we're saying that his death on the cross covered me fully for my sins, that I have nothing left to prove, to be declared righteous by God. That's what when we say faith, when we, when we are putting our faith and our dependence on, on Him. Now, if we're choosing moral law, that's saying that our ability to obey the laws and commandments of God, that's what moral law means, like that we think that we can obey them. We think that we can satisfy what God's requirements of us to be holy might be one day. We think that we can handle our own sin, that we can um, be good enough. That would be depending on moral law. Let me invite you to do an exercise. It went okay in the first service. Hoping for, for a repeat here. Um, I want you to stay seated. But I'm on count of three and I want you to lift your feet up. Both of them. Okay? So if you're, if you're able. Okay? If you're able. Lift both your feet up on the count of three. One, two, three. Everybody just got a little taller. Somebody went feet in the sky. I love it. Alright, you can put them down. Thank you. Facilities just wanted to make sure we didn't have any broken chairs in here. So that's, that's, that's good. I didn't see anybody fall. Um, What, what did, what did you just do? You, you placed your full dependence on that chair. I didn't see anybody holding their neighbor just in case they fell. I didn't see anybody's feet over here just stabilizing yourself in case that chair gave out. You placed your full dependence on that chair. And so here's, here's why I make you go through that. The illustration I hope sticks with you is which chair are you sitting on? Is the chair of moral obedience or moral law, meaning I'm sitting on this chair, I'm depending that I'm gonna be able to be good enough to satisfy God's requirements one day. I've got time to work on the things I'm not so good at, I'm great at these things, but I'm gonna put my dependence on moral law. Or is it the chair of faith in Jesus? That I know that I don't have the ability to justify myself. I know that I'm a sinner. All I can really do if I'm putting faith in somebody else's work is just trust that it's going to be enough. Which chair is your life sitting on? That is the question of legalism. Which chair are you sitting on? Now, there is a tension in this conversation because— It might sound like, okay, good works are bad. Like I just need to stop focusing on good works and this is what freedom is like. That's not fully true. Just because Jesus has died to to give us freedom in Christ that we do not have to earn our way through good works doesn't just give us a license to do whatever we want. James talks about this tension in the book of James. James chapter 2 he says this, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He's speaking to the, way that the fact that these two things are good works, our deeds, they are connected to our faith. We can't just forget about one without the other, but the order in which that happens is everything. Am I finding my salvation, my hope, my dependence on my future? Is that being secured by what, by what I'm out there doing, or is it being secured by what's already been done for me? And when I, when I taste that kind of good news, that the work is actually already be done, it actually can lead to those same good works that used to be legalism, but now are joy and gratitude and intimacy with the Father. It, it changes how we read our, 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 our scriptures, honestly. Like, I have spent a lot of my life, when it comes to reading the Bible, I I have read it simply looking for instruction from the Lord. It is instructive. He is Lord. He is King of all kings. He's ruler. He has authority over my life. But when I read it only looking for what to go do, I lose my relationship with him as a father, too. I, I lose what he has said about me, not just what to do, but about me, what he has said about himself in it. And so these things are tensioned together. The other reason that this is complicated is because um, our whole world swims in legalism. When you walk out these doors, the rest of your time, you are in a legalistic environment. And that's not all bad. Like we are evaluated at work by the works that we do, not just by the person that you are. That'd be nice. (laughs) But you are measured to your goals based on your performance. You're considered for a raise or a promotion, um, or you get feedback in a certain way based on the things you do, not just who you are. It's where we spend a lot of our time, work. It's also in relationships. Now, God calls us to do relationships differently, but it's just common nature that if somebody is just treating you like a terrible friend, you're probably just gonna stop being friends with them. What'd you do? You made a decision based on their works of them as a friend. Like the people that you are friends with now most likely are because they had good works in that category towards you that you benefited from. Like they were a good friend. They were loyal. They were these things. This is the world that we swim in. And in many ways, it's a just an equitable way for society to operate. But God's kingdom flips everything upside down. And so I lay that out there for you like that because you got to know that when you leave these four walls, You're in a world where the current is saying, you're evaluated by your works. You're evaluated by your works. It's all about what you do. It's all about what you do. But Jesus fights and maintains in his gospel that it is not about your good works. It is about faith in him. So here's one question I want to start that heart conversation, and then we'll go look at our text. Why are you here? But why are you here? That should, it's probably not a quick answer. But really think about it. Why'd you choose to wake up early? Or for you guys, why'd you choose to give up your brunch? Why'd you choose to eat lunch late and be hangry? What is your why? Why are you here? Why do you serve in a community group leader role? Why do you put in extra time to prepare? for your group coming into your home? Why do you parent the way that you parent? Why do you refrain from all the good comforts that the world has to offer you? These are things we're all trying to do. The question is why? Why are you doing them? I believe that answering more and more wrestling with that question with God is the winning work we hope happens in light of this this time together. That we would evaluate our why. No pastor, no parent, no peer, no roommate can discern your heart. Only you and the Spirit who sees it crystal clear can. And so my goal today is to simply tell you the truth, which is found in Romans 3, verses 20 through 31. And we pray that the truth will set us free. So let's take a quick look at it. Again, I'm only going to add a few thoughts because I believe Paul does a great job. If you've read a lot of Paul's letters, I mean, he's not short-winded on things. And good for us this morning, he goes all in on this gospel. He goes all in on maintaining the theology that um, he is contending for, because he's fighting against other voices that would say that it is about your works. Your works do justify you. And so he starts off the first two and a half chapters up into our verse today, building a case against all people that we are universally sinful and therefore universally in need of salvation. Verse 20 is a quick summary of that. He says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. He says, no one will be declared righteous because of their works. What does no one mean? No one. It means no one. In the Greek, the Hebrew, all languages, no one. There's a lot of fun words in here that we could nerd out on. You got the wrong pastor to do that today. And we don't have time. But he, he is saying from the jump, not a single person is gonna be justified by their works. So what I wanna to say to you from the jump, especially to those who have never put their faith in Christ, you cannot earn your way into right standing with him. You cannot be good enough You cannot distance yourself from bad decisions far enough. You are like we and and those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. We are sinners. He's going to lay it out very plainly a few verses later. We are sinners. We cannot be justified by the good works that we try to do. So if anything, just hear me to the one who's never really had a real relationship with Jesus Christ, never fully said, I'm sitting on the chair of Jesus and my faith in him you can't earn it any other way. There is no other way to right standing with God. To the Christian, I would summarize it like this. It's Jesus plus nothing justifies you. Jesus plus nothing, not Jesus plus Grace City's values. Not, not, not Jesus plus I'm gonna really go engage the diversity that I know that our church and, and, and the scriptures call us to live into. Not Jesus plus perfect attendance at community group. Not, not, not Jesus plus I serve faithfully. Not Jesus plus I, I, I put some space between sin. It's just Jesus. It's just his work that justifies us. That alone should be such an encouragement to every single one of us. That we can't earn it. So we should stop trying. He does say that the law plays an important role in this process. He says, the law helps us become conscious of our sin. The only thing worse than a sinner and realizing you're a sinner is not knowing you're a sinner and still being a sinner. It's like walking around um, with a cancer inside of you that you don't know is there, but it's still cancer. it's, It's death is still coming. My wife has been encouraging me to go to the doctor. Nothing is wrong. I don't understand why I need to go. But I don't have a primary physician, and now you all understand why she wants me to go. I'm like, I have a lot of medical people in my church. They'll take care of me if I need something. And I was like, that excuse is gonna last for like a prescription, and then that's about it. So she's been pushing me to go to the doctor. Well, I, I, I mean, it like fell into my lap. We're trying to get a Christmas tree at Home Depot, and a parent um, uh, that we go to school with was standing in line with us coincidentally and he happens to be a doctor and he's my age and she's like now's your time and so I'm just like I don't want to talk work with this guy he's off and so but I just said like hey what's it look like and he's like we're about a year out from taking on new patients and I'm like never gonna happen like I'm done it's over I gotta wait a year to get a primary that's how this works I didn't know this um but part of my Um, I was thinking about my hesitancy to go see a doctor because I feel like I'm fine. But wouldn't you want to know you're good? Like, wouldn't I want to know if I got something in me that actually needs to be dealt with, that needs to be addressed? This is what the law, this is what God's word does for us, is it reveals to us where we are conscious of sin when we weren't conscious of sin before. You want this in your life. This is a grace that he gives us this. In verse 21, he says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Very creative, very cool language here from Paul. That apart from the law, the righteousness of God is being testified by the law and by the prophets. Like I looked this up. um, Jesus fulfilled not only the 48 messianic prophecies, He fulfilled over 324 prophecies that referred to a Messiah. Like there were things that were said about him coming for hundreds and thousands of years, and he fulfilled every single one of those things. The law and the prophets agree, and they testify that because of Jesus, we now have seen the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a word that we'll see throughout this text. So just some quick context around that word. Righteousness means the quality of being in accordance with God's law. It means being innocent or correct. And the problem with sin is that makes us unrighteous. Separating us from a relationship with a righteous God. So that's our core issue. Like your core issue is that you don't have righteousness outside of what Jesus has done for us. We need righteousness. So how do we get it? Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's given through faith. He said in verse 20, it's not given through works. He said in verse 22, it is given through faith. How much more clear does it have to be? It is given through faith alone. And he says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. These are words that if you grew up in the church, you may have heard of those two different people groups. Um, To put it in plain terms for us and to save time, you could say that the Jews were a churched people and the Gentiles were an unchurched people for a long period of time. Like these were, the Jews were God's people who were reading his law, trying to obey it. They would have had behavior that morally would have been applauded or celebrated. The Gentiles were doing what they wanted to do, living living life in the world to their own version of the fullest. And yet he says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for who this righteousness is given to. There is no difference. He pronounces you. I read this um, through uh, one of the commentators I was studying for, and I found this so encouraging. I love the way this is worded. God pronounces you righteous at the beginning of your course, not the end. How much more satisfying is it to know that you've been justified freely by grace instead of wondering how you're trending in the eternal scales? You've been justified at the beginning of your relationship with Jesus, not at the end. He doesn't choose to marry sinners And as long as you perform to a certain expectation, the marriage will continue, and you'll end one day. Whoever knows what day that is in heaven, and we'll be together with Jesus. No, he justifies you at the beginning. There's nothing left to go prove or earn or validate even. And verse 23 reminds us of how we are trending in the eternal scales. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Our ultimate problem is that we all fall short. We all have sin. We are all unrighteous, and we are in need of righteousness. And it is given to us through justification. I love this word of justification. It means to be proven right. It means to be innocent. It means to be clean or acceptable, thinking about it in a spiritual context with God and our sin and what we bring into this relationship. The the imagery that you should have when you think about justification and what God has said about you is that there's going to be a, let's say, a courtroom at the end when we get to heaven. And Jesus and God are sitting on their throne and, he, and they're looking at you, and you're the—I you're, you're the, oh, don't know lawyer your terms, I'm sorry—but you're on the stand, or, or you're the one being evaluated. And the gavel comes down, and he says, this, this man is justified. Like, it's been decided. There is no debating it. You are justified. That is what Jesus won for you on the cross, is that the, big, the most important decision of your existence has already been decided— if you put your faith in Jesus. You are are justified. You can't be more justified than you currently are today. It says you're justified freely. Freely, meaning you can't buy it. You can't work to earn it. There's nothing you can do but accept it. Some of us, that's hard. It's hard to let others serve us. It's hard to receive something for free. And so we feel like we got to go out and we got to make up for it. We got to pay God back to it. I heard um, a pastor in Greenville say, that if when we get, we're thinking about our chair, right, like who, who am I depending on? If we're saying Jesus is who I'm depending on, 99% of it, but 1% of it's me, that's still, just, that's still legalism. That is, that is still inserting ourselves into the story where we don't belong, where we did nothing to actually earn the goodness that our... God has given us through Jesus. It's given freely. You can't buy it. You can only receive it. How did he do this? Verse 25. And at this point out, we're, for the most part, reading to the finish line. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. How did he do it? He sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sins. That's what he means by a sacrifice of atonement. It was the shedding of his blood. That's how this great exchange has happened, where I deserved death, but instead I didn't just, I wasn't just spared from death. I was given righteousness, both things I didn't deserve. But it's through Jesus that he did this. And, and, and why did he do it? He did it to demonstrate his own righteousness. He is a just God. When I was young, I used to think like God is like a genie. <laughs> like a genie was the most powerful thing I'd ever seen in a movie, right? He just snapped and things happened. Shout out to old school Aladdin. And um, I love that movie. Like I would, I would, I would take bubblegum pieces of paper that were red and blue and turn it into a magic carpet and then just be like riding in the car with it. Um, but I, I associated, like, why can't God just say, snap his fingers and act like it didn't happen? Because then he would not be a just God. This is so important for you to understand. Th- then he would not be just. It would invalidate his own character. He, he would be just allowing sin to exist in the world and then come into relationship with him. He had to, pe- something had to be done. There had to be a punishment for sin. There had to be consequences. There had to be wrath. And there was wrath. There was punishment. You and I just didn't get it. Jesus stepped in for us. He fully took it. And so what that did is it proved God to still be just. He's still a just God. And since he's a just God, guess who gets to determine who gets justified? He does. Since he is just, he determines who is justified. And that's how we're here. That's how we have a relationship with Christ. That's how we are able to experience the goodness of the gospel and how we can go on and do good works because of that. Parents, I I wanted to just make a plug, and I'm with you on this because I'm struggling to know how to do it perfectly. But how do we go about parenting without creating lots of legalists? It's so hard because they need to know Right and wrong. They need to know how to obey. That we are trying to establish some sense of authority in their young lives, at least in the in the beginning part. But how do we guard ourselves from just creating and promoting legalism in our own children? Like when's the last time you intentionally gave your children something that they didn't deserve? Like you get the talk back, the bad attitude. Normally, there'd be a consequence. I don't know if this is the answer, but actually, here's an ice cream cone. That may not be the perfect way to do it, but you... <laughs> when's the last time we intentionally carved into our parenting, our disciplining of our kids, the gospel, that, that, that um, a negative consequence was withheld from you because of the goodness of our God? When's the last time uh, that we... Um, gave them something they didn't deserve, or, or even explain to them how someone else took the consequence for you. That one was really messy for me to think about. I'm like, should I discipline my oldest child when my youngest child disbehaves? That feels like it could get real messy. And parenting is messy. So I'm not up here giving you answers today. But I am saying we got to insert the gospel. We got to go deeper than just obedience. Because if we're not careful at the foundation, we will only really just prop up an opportunity for Satan to teach them legalism like he teaches the rest of the world legalism through everything that we do. So we got to be intentional as parents. Verse 27. Where then is boasting? Given what Jesus has done for us, that while, while we were all sinners, he justifies all of us freely. How then can we boast? How then can we brag about how good we are or take credit for things that we can't even really take credit for. Where is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? Is there a law that says don't boast? Is it the law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. When you take, when you can't take credit for something, all you can really do is say thank you. All you can really do is let the gratitude in you well up, and that can, lead to, that can lead to action. That, to me, is when the fuel for the believer kicks in. Like, that's the grease on the wheels of our activity out there in the world, serving and doing good works. It's when the gospel has really hit us at an emotional level. You can't really hear the gospel laid out plainly if you're listening and you hear it and not be grateful. Not, not, not run out of here like, I've just won the lottery. And it's with that posture of gratitude and joy that we serve. It allows us to extend grace to our enemies. It allows us to sacrifice our own comfort to comfort somebody else. It allows us to, to give away our money and our resources, not of ab- obligation, but an excitement to do so, an excitement to fuel this ministry that is preaching the gospel. Verse 28. And we'll conclude in this section. For we maintain, this is a recap, that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not only, or is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. And since there is only one God, since there is only one God, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We don't have time this morning to get into circumcised and uncircumcised. However, what you can translate that to in, in modern day is it was, it, was, um, uh, it was an act of obedience for God's people up until a certain point in time. It was, a, it was an activity at the surface level that... that that God's people would do to to really say, I am a follower of Christ. You could translate that, insert, going to church on Sunday morning, serving um, on a ministry team, standing out in the heat to welcome and greet people in church. Like it's the thing that we do, and yet it's not what earns us our righteousness with God. Instead, it's only faith. But he ends with that tension we started with of, Works and faith. We don't just throw away the law because we've been set free by Jesus from our own good works. Instead, he says, What? We uphold the law. We uphold the law. We let the law reveal to us where we are sinful and we strive to uphold it, not out of obligation, not out of legalism, not out of earning anything, but simply because this is our God who has spoken and we are his. His children now, when we didn't used to be, we didn't used to have a family. So I just have a few closing thoughts. What chair are you sitting on? Is it the chair of moral law? Is that where your dependence is placed? Is it the chair of faith in Jesus' work? Why are you here? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you love your neighbor? Here's a specific question. Am I disappointed when my good works are not noticed and gratitude is not expressed? Do I find myself constantly frustrated that I'm not being appreciated by others for what I'm doing here? That, that may be a marker where legalism has slipped in. When I evaluate my morality compared to others, do I consider myself above average? That might reveal a heart that's been captured by legalism. This last one. Is my confession life lacking because I'm trying to put distance between me and my sin? To me that is a red flag of somebody who's trying to look better than we actually are, that has forgotten that you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. You've already been justified. Like, it's not going to change the future for you. It's already been decided. You're justified. It had nothing to do with your works. It had nothing to even do with your confession over and over again of your sin. It had to do with Jesus' work and your faith in him, that his work was enough. Is my confession life lacking because I'm trying to put distance between me and my sin? We didn't have time today. To put a plug in a thing that Satan has been attacking mankind with from the beginning of time. But what I hope is that you've heard the truth. I hope you've heard it clearly from God this morning that there's only one way to get to Him. There is only one way that your sin gets dealt with appropriately. You don't pay for it. You don't go out and earn it. You don't even strive to go achieve it. You just accept it through faith. And I hope we have a church of people who've put their faith in Jesus where well, we don't have our toes on the ground stabilizing ourselves. We go all in on that chair saying, my faith or my hope, my dependence, my future, if Jesus' work wasn't legit, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to crash and burn and fail. But he says here very clearly that he will justify us for those that put our faith in Christ. So we're going to have a chance to respond. We're going to have a chance to sing We pick songs intentionally every week around the sermon, around the text that we're in. And I hope these lyrics wash over your soul because I know that when you leave these doors, something else is coming for it. A different message is coming for it. And while that may make sense in certain contexts that we're evaluated based on our works in the most important conversation and category of your existence, that is not how it works. You are justified freely by faith alone. Praise God that that's true. Let's pray. Lord, we we just say we're not worthy. We're not worthy of this kind of love. We're not worthy of this kind of grace. We didn't deserve your righteousness. We deserve death. We deserve the wrath that you clearly laid out for sin. And yet you spared us, God. And we just say thank you. We say, thank you, Jesus, for the life that you have given us in you. And Lord, where Satan will twist these words, maybe all he has to do is get us busy this week to not make space to continue this conversation with you, Lord. We pray in another name's power who has way more power than Satan, and that's the Holy Spirit, that you would change hearts this week. That Christians who've been entangled with legalistic thoughts, legalistic action, maybe that's even come, Through our own communication unintentionally here at Grace City, Lord, would you forgive us where we're blind to our sin? Would you forgive us where we've been trying to earn things? Lord, we are grateful for a family of brothers and sisters that get to encourage us, that get to sing truth over us as well. I pray that we would respond appropriately while we have today and while we have this time. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website.